0: listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There were several different types of crosses that were used throughout history. The first one was simply a sharpened pole in the ground that was used by the Persians. There were X-shaped crosses as well. But over the centuries, the Romans modified the cross to extend the life of the person on that cross for as long as possible to make it as torturous and as painful as possible. The Romans were the ones who invented the T-shaped cross that we're familiar with today. It was made of two pieces. The upright first piece, the vertical piece, was called the stipes, which was permanently fixed in the ground at the site of the execution. This, the blood would run down the person crucified on that cross, and it would go down these vertical, vertical piece of wood, forming stripes, all the way to the ground. The second piece on the cross was the arm of the cross. It was called the patibulum. And this was the horizontal part that attached to the upright piece. And we usually think of this patibulum as being a third or a fourth of the way down, as as you can see right here behind me. But historians tell us that in Jesus' day, that second piece was actually more like an uppercase T at the very top of that cross than it was a quarter or, you know, a third of the way down. And sometimes in the crucifixion of notorious criminals, a small sign was added to the top of that crucifix stating the victim's crime called the Titleist. And we just read about that in John 19. The Titleist on Jesus' cross read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, the condemned man was forced to carry the horizontal, non-permanent part, the patibulum, from the prison to the place of execution. And in John 19, 17, where it says that Jesus carried the cross, it is talking about this. The entire cross would have been too heavy for most men to carry. Even the patibulum itself generally weighed about 110 pounds. And it was too much for most men to carry, especially after they had been beaten. But the crucifixion was designed with the intent to drag out death as long as possible and to be as excruciatingly as painful as possible. The nails were driven into the hands, and we often think of it as just the hands, right? Because we've seen pictures of that. But again, in reality, if a nail was just driven into the two hands and all the weight of that person was on on those nails the nails would rip right through those hands. So the Romans in their crucifixion always nailed through the wrist, where you had all these bones that connect the arm bones to the hand is what held that body in place. They would also take uh, take the feet, and at the base of this cross, they would put one foot on top of the other, and they would nail one big straight nail right through both feet with the knees bent. And this was the whole purpose of the whole, the whole crucifixion. It was, it was to drag it on, right? So if they nailed down his feet to that base with his knees bent, the person on the cross could lift up and get a breath. Because almost every single person who died on a cross did not die from bleeding, but they died from asphyxiation, the, the, the ability not to breathe anymore. And you had all this excruciating pain going through your wrists as you were held there. And, and, and once, once you lifted up for a second, you had all the excruciating pain in your feet. But at least then you could get enough breath in your lungs to breathe. And very strong men were able to last for a very long time. Even a few days in this position. Just getting up enough breath, and and just in agonies sitting there. So the Romans would go through. If they wanted the death to just happen after a while, they would go through and they would break the legs. For Jesus Christ, they did not have to do that because he died before they even had to come around to break his legs. Now, I've given you a very grim account of crucifixion, just five minutes' worth. But I haven't even touched on the half of the tortury. There was the mockery. There was the flogging. Everything that Jesus went through even before the cross. Before that, liars twisted an alternate reality story. Scoffers jeered. Men and women who had just a few days before laid down pall branches and cried out, Hosanna! Turned their back on Jesus... And yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. And this is just a part of the death that Jesus went through. But here's the sobering truth. Jesus went through all of this for me and for you. He did this for us. How could someone do that? Why would someone do that? That's what we're gonna talk about tonight. But to get there, I first need you to consider what led to Jesus being condemned on that cross. So please open up your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of the many servant prophecies in the book of Isaiah that describe our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Written over 700 years before he came to this earth to be the savior of the world. So, would you please read Isaiah 53 with me? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people... And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, My first point today is Jesus was despised, rejected, oppressed, and afflicted. We often get our own ideas about Jesus Christ. People are really good at turning Jesus into their own image of what they want him to be. But in this prophecy about Jesus Christ, we have some light being shown on who Jesus really was. First, let's talk about his appearance. Besides the fact that we know Jesus had a beard, this is all we have about the appearance of Jesus Christ from scripture and from Christian tradition. So let's go through this together. Verse 2 For he grew up before him. That he here is Jesus, that before him is God the Father. Now, Jesus is one with the Father. They are equal. Jesus has existed before the foundation of the world with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. All three in one created this universe and everything in it. But the Son humbled himself and became a man. He was born of a virgin in a manger. And here's a description of his life. Like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. The conditions, the conditions of his formative years are described here as dry ground. This is lowly conditions. It suggests miserable surroundings. A root in a dry parched ground will struggle to preserve life. It also says here that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In life... Good-looking people get good things coming their way, right? People treat people with good appearance and good form really well most of the time. I mean, that's just the way, the way it works. And I'm not saying that's all bad. I mean, if somebody catches your eye, let's be honest, it's human nature to try to impress them. The real test is how you treat people who don't have it all together. How do you treat people who are, the, who are lower than you, who are not... As impressive as you, as Christians, we should treat the good-looking people as well as the unbecoming people the same. Why is that? It's because God lifted you up and gave you grace. When you were lost and broken, he lifted you up out of the miry pit. But with all that said, the point here is very clear. Jesus wasn't impressing anyone with his appearance, He wasn't impressing anyone with his physical features. So, what drew people to Jesus was not outward form or beauty, it was his love and his compassion. But overall, in the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry on earth, he was popular for a season, and then he was rejected by the masses. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's our God and our Savior. Does this change your view of Jesus at all? Think about this. Jesus knows what it feels like to be overlooked and misjudged. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to have the answer and to offer the solution but to be ignored and brushed aside because he doesn't look the part that someone thinks he should look like. He knows that feeling. And he willingly put himself in this place He is majestic. He is all-powerful. He spoke this world into existence. He is God. Yet he set all of that aside for the cross. Philippians 2 tells us this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 goes on to say. Look again at verse 4 through 7. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before his shears, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When he was accused falsely, he never once opened his mouth to defend himself. This lines up perfectly with what we see in Matthew 26, where Jesus remained silent in the face of his accusers. So he was oppressed and afflicted. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not, stricken, smitten by God. And this is where we need to transition to the next thought. Smitten by God? Why did God allow this to happen to his son? Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. This is our second point today. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now there's something very important that I haven't really covered yet that we just read in verses 5 and 6. Look back at verses 5 and 6 for this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How could someone go through the torment of the cross voluntarily? And why did Jesus have to do this? Why did he have to die in this way? Both of those questions are answered in verse 10. He made an offering for guilt. Paul describes it this way in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's why the cross is necessary. We are guilty. All we lack of sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us have turned astray and gone his own way. That's an illustration of you in your own sinful heart, turning away from God and living your life apart from him. It's the same thing as a child who says, you know what, I don't want to live with my dad anymore. I don't want anything to do with my mom and my dad. I don't want to be their son. I don't want to be their daughter. I want to live my way and do it according to my pleasure. So you walk off and you never look back. And that's a horrifying thought, right? That's a a terrible picture of a kid to say something like that to their own father. And you may think that's a very harsh way of looking at it. What kind of a kid would spurn their father like that? Doesn't it sound awful? If you have an evil father, which some people do, something like that is necessary. It it, it might not even sound so bad, even though it still is tragic. It's understandable. But here's the truth of the matter we have all done this in our own way to our perfectly good, loving, heavenly father. We have all gone astray. We've all turned aside, every single one of us, to our own way. We are guilty, and our sin brings shame. But God shows his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross because of you and he went to the cross for you. He was pierced for your transgression, your transgression against a holy God, and he was crushed for your iniquities. And this was God's plan because it's the only way. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You can have peace today. You can have peace from that selfish thing that someone else did to you. How can you have peace because of what they did against you? Because Jesus forgave you and he extended grace and mercy. And what you did to a holy God was worse than what they did to you. We don't often think of it that way, but it's true. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate deliverer of peace because we have offended a holy God. There is no greater offense than sinning against the creator of the universe. And to say, no, I don't want, I don't want what you gave me. I don't want to live for you. I want to live my life for me and my own glory. That is an offense that is way worse than the worst thing that anyone has ever done to you or said to you. So we can have peace because we know God loved me to forgive me. So of course I'm ready to forgive that person. And you have peace. You can have peace from that horrible thing that you did in your past. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. All the other lambs in this illustration here have wandered away, but the Lamb of God voluntarily put himself on the altar and gave his life to be a ransom for many. And when we say, I don't want to submit to God, the God of the universe, I don't want anyone else telling me what to do, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. What you were saying is God, I don't need you. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll go my own way. And that's even more tragic than the kid rejecting his human father and running away. Because we are rejecting a holy God who created us and gifted us a personality with passions and gifts, and we take that and claim it to be our own. What would you call a kid who grew up in a wealthy home, who isn't just given food and security and a place to grow and thrive, but this kid is given presents. They're given an education. They're set up to have an amazing career. You take all the wealth they've been given from the family trust fund and and they can invest it in however they want and still go off and be passionate about whatever they're passionate about. No risks, really. I mean, you can lose a lot of money in this investment. It's still fine. Just go out and enjoy life. Take a kid like that. What would you say to that person if they took all of those blessings and they completely squandered it, burned through the cash? You know, I'll, I'll go buy a frivolous $1,000 meal over here, you know, total an $80,000 car. They go through all of that. They go bankrupt. We would just shake our heads. What a waste, Right. What, a, what an absolute waste. This is so pathetic that this person did all of that. That's the same thing that we all do when we turn everyone to our own way and we turn our back on our creator who gifted us with everything we have. All of our gifts. And when we think our ways are higher than his ways. There's a lot of people who think this way. Well, I don't like this about myself compared to what the Bible says about me, so I think God's wrong. I think I'm right. I don't like this about someone else. No thanks, God. You're not for me. That's shameful. And at some point in our lives, we have all been guilty of that. And rebellion against the holy God deserves judgment It deserves punishment. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. By his stripes you are healed. That's the why and here's the how. How is a sacrifice this great possible? Well, the next chapter in Isaiah tells us. And it's using another illustration to share this idea. So just look one page ahead with me to Isaiah 54 verses 4 through 8. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you. Like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. With everlasting love I will have compassion on you. I don't think it's a coincidence that this next chapter says, in overflowing anger, I hid my face from you. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he took our guilt, he took our shame upon himself. And we are told that Jesus cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God sent Jesus into this earth to go to the cross. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission because God loves us. And there was a moment there where the father had to be separated from the son. Because the son took our sin and guilt and shame and dirt and grime upon himself. Your maker is the husband who redeems you out of widowhood. Your maker is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost sheep. Your maker is God, the good father who runs toward his wayward prodigal son from afar and kills the fatted calf and gives you his signet ring. You are loved. And it was the will of the Lord to crush him because God knew This was the only way for you to be healed. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And here's the final point tonight. It's found in verse 11. Number three. You can be accounted righteous. There's something else that happens three days after the cross. So that's what we're going to celebrate Sunday morning, okay? It's the reason we're still talking about this. It's the same reason why so many people's lives have been transformed. It's because Jesus didn't stay dead. And you can see just a hint of that in verse 12. Look at it with me. Verse 12, the the last phrase of this entire chapter. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Do you see that hint in there? The cross was agonizing. Jesus went to the cross because of you. He went to the cross for you. But here's the best part. It's called the great exchange. He not only took your punishment and bore the wrath of God, but he took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, the best we offer is as filthy rags before God. But he did that trade, and he gave us his sinless perfection in the eyes of God. My boys and I love to collect soccer cards and trade soccer cards. Now, if I really wanted to, I could could probably pull off some unfair, unbalanced trades, Okay, (laughs) I could. I, (laughs) I don't do that, though, because I love my kids. I also, I mean, even Moreau likes soccer cards now. She likes to collect some cards. And, and I, if I don't police it, she has a couple older brothers who, who could do an unfair trade with her. Okay? They, they see a card they want, they, they could work it out. They, they would do a trade that's completely unfair. They could if they wanted to. This trade right here, the great exchange of our sin for Jesus Christ's righteousness, there's nothing fair about this. This transcends fairness. Our sin for his righteousness? The only way this works is because of the overwhelming, steadfast love of God. And it's less of a trade and it's more of a gift. He loves us so much, he did this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus went to the cross because he loves us and he gave us his life. That is what our faith is all about. Don't let anyone else ever tell you anything about our faith if they miss this. People can twist our faith to being all kinds of things that, it, that they aren't, that our faith is not. Our faith is about the love of God who sacrificed his son for us and Jesus who willingly came to the cross and bled and died and suffered so that we could be reunited and restored with our creator. He not only took our filthy rags, paid the ultimate price, he exchanged his robes for yours. And here's how Paul describes it to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians five eighteen. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't get any more clear than that. The physical suffering of Jesus Christ is almost unfathomable. And as agonizing as it sounds, just from the five minutes that I spent talking about it at the beginning of this message, I want you to think about how the mental suffering of Jesus Christ to face isolation and judgment and the weight of the world, it was worse than the physical torment. The mental agony was worse. Jesus is pure and innocent. He never sinned. He had a clear conscience. And he took our sin, the sin of the world, upon him. And then he gave us his sinless perfection. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your guilt and your shame. He already judged that. Jesus bled and died for that. So you don't have to. You too can be righteous if you confess your sin and look to Jesus and live. I invite you today to do that. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. But this right here is the most important decision you could ever make. To repent of your sin, of going your own way, straying away and doing it your way for your glory and turning your back on God. Tell the Lord, I am sorry that I ever rejected you. I'm sorry that I disobeyed. I'm sorry that I rebelled, really, against you. And I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And you too can have forgiveness and redemption. I'm asking you to turn to Jesus and give your life to your creator. To quit going your own way. To repent and believe. And as you believe, you will receive the free gift of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The altar is open. We're going we're gonna to sing a song here, but I, I want to just let you know this front right here, it is wide open for you to come and pray to God. I also want to extend a second invitation, and that's to all of the Christians in the room who you have received grace, you have received mercy, but you've let your own passions of your flesh You've let the noise of this world quench your thirst for God's glory. If that's you today, I have good news for you as well. The same God who saves you still has a plan for you. And He's ready to use you. To shine His light, to be a vessel of His love and justice and mercy in this world to tell the good story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Maybe you've shied away from sharing what he's done for you. Maybe you've blocked him out so much that he's felt distant and you don't feel like you have much to share. Talk to him about that. Because Sunday is coming. And everything that I've said in this message is the truth that you need to speak to your family about. It's the truth that you need to speak to your friends about who don't know Jesus. That's our job. We're gonna sing one more song, but I, I wanna ask you not to sing until you are ready, until you've prayed, and until you've listened to what God has to say to you today about all of this. Maybe you need to accept him. There's no better time to do it than right now. Now is the time. Maybe you need to just get right. Talk to the Lord. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to do great things through you. So listen to him. What is he telling you to do? What do you need to do? Do you need to receive him? Do you need to embrace him? Or do you need to share him? Everyone go ahead and stand up. I'm going to stay up here in the front. I'd be more than willing to pray with you if you would like someone to pray with, talk with anyone. But I want this service to close by simply you talking and listening to God. And as we sing this song, let's praise our Savior who gave His life so that we can have life. SHUT